If you open your bulletin every week, you will see that our mission statement is proclaiming Jesus that all may follow him. And we look at a text this morning that illustrates that so clearly when Jesus called Matthew to follow him, and he did. And that's my prayer for you today, that you will hear the call of Jesus. It won't go in one ear and out the other, but you will say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want you to lead me throughout all of my life. We turn to Matthew chapter 9 and read verses 9 through verse 13 in Jesus' name. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that Jesus has come to call sinners. And we all qualify because we've been born in sin. We sin in thought, word, and deed, sins of commission, sins of omission. We all need your forgiveness, your salvation. Thank you that Jesus has provided that for us. We pray that we might hear his call today. Uh, speak, O oh Lord, for your servant is listening. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Something very interesting and something very wonderful happened on the day that Matthew began to follow Jesus. But we wouldn't know it without Mark's account of this event. Mark tells us in his account of Matthew's conversion that crowds were coming to Jesus. Mark chapter 2 verse 13 says, And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. But then we look at the first verse of our text, and what do we see? Quite a contrast. Instead of people who are coming to Jesus, here we see this picture of Matthew who is sitting in the tax collector's booth. What a contrast. You have the crowds, the group that's coming, and then Matthew, he's just sitting there. Just sitting there. Douglas O'Donnell makes this point. He says, as I envision this scene, the one thing that strikes me as being most peculiar is that Jesus, who is mobbed by a crowd that is showing great interest in him, approaches the one man in town who seems to show no interest in him. Not interesting. <laughs> Here's the crowd coming to him, but who does Jesus show interest in? It's the one who is sitting there. The one who appears to show no interest in him at all. He goes on to say, it is not that Matthew didn't know anything about Jesus. 
As a tax collector whose booth was likely set up on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he knew more than most people about what was going on in town. And if he hadn't already met Jesus face to face, he most certainly had heard about him. Everybody in Capernaum had at least heard about him, and still Matthew sits. He is apparently uninterested in Christ and his ministry. He is not even curious like the crowd or the scribes, some of whom traveled a great distance to see Jesus in action and to judge for themselves. And yet, who does Jesus show his interest in that day? The one who appeared to be at least very uninterested in him. Isn't this the way salvation works. We are not by nature interested in Jesus because by nature we are sinful and we go our own way and it is God who is the one who is interested in us. He is the one who seeks for us. Now you've come to church today. I am not going to assume that you've come here because you're interested in Jesus. You might be here for other reasons. I don't know. Maybe you're here because mom and dad said you got to come here. But you're not really interested in Jesus. I don't want to assume that everybody that darkens the door of our church is coming here today because they want to hear the word and want to meet Jesus. You may be absolutely uninterested in what I have to say. But guess what? Jesus is interested in you. And he sees you in the midst of the crowd, and perhaps today, he is calling you to follow him. There are several lessons we learn about Jesus from this call to Matthew. First of all, notice that Jesus calls us out of a life of sin. If you know how the typical first century tax collector uh, worked, uh, you understand something about the life of Matthew. And if you're not familiar with it, here's how it, how it worked. Tax collectors could buy into a franchise. And they could become a tax collector for the Roman government. And the Roman government gave you a certain amount of money that you were supposed to raise during that year. Everything that you raised above that was yours. Now, if you know human nature... What do you think the typical tax collector did? I mean, he was going to collect as much as he could because once he reached that point where he was supposed to give that amount of money to the Roman government, woo, the rest is mine. <laughs> and so they were well known for cheating, well known for charging too much, and they had the Roman government to back them up, Roman soldiers to back them up. And so it was like, or, like extortion. I mean, they could, could, could charge almost anything that they wanted. They were hated. They were hated more than the Roman soldiers, more than the Roman officials, because these Jewish tax collectors, how do you think they were viewed? Traitors, right? Working for the enemy. Alfred Edersheim reports that a Jewish tax collector was barred from the synagogue, was forbidden to have any religious or social contact with his fellow Jews. 
He was ranked with the unclean animals, which a devout Jew would not so much as touch. He was in a class of swine. And because he was held to be a traitor and a congenital liar, he was ranked with robbers and murderers and for, was forbidden to give testimony in any Jewish court. That's what Alfred Edersheim said. So think of the, the, the kind of life that this man lived. The kind of life that Zacchaeus lived. These men were hated. They were outcasts. No one wanted anything to do with them. Except who? Jesus. Aren't you glad that Jesus wants something to do with you? Aren't you glad that, that He loves you and He cares for you? He died for you? Jesus noticed that man that day. And He called him out of that life. Matthew tells us how the Pharisees felt about tax collectors in verse 11. It says, When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? They could not understand. How in the world would Jesus ever want to be associated with someone like Matthew? But Jesus called him to be his disciple, and Matthew's life was forever changed. Just like Zacchaeus, Jesus called him too. And it was in the midst of a crowd that day as well in Jericho. (laughs) And Jesus saw that man, Zacchaeus, come down, and his life was changed. And, And that's when Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Zacchaeus, he left behind that sinful life. Matthew left behind that sinful life. And he never looked back. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. Responding to the call of Jesus doesn't mean that you add Jesus to your life and then you continue to live the way you always lived. It's a life change. It's a transformation And that's what happened with Matthew. He left it all behind. One author says, when a person is truly converted, he cannot leave his old life fast enough. His old habits, standards, and practices no longer appeal to him, and he gladly longs to leave them behind. That's because the heart has changed. That's because God gives us new desires. And we don't want to live the way we used to live. We want to follow Jesus. Lord, what is your will for my life? I heard a story about a little girl that was going to join a church. And she was interviewed by the the deacons of that church. And they asked her about her relationship with the Lord and so forth. And, And then one of the deacons asked her, do you still sin? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I still sin. And then he said, well, 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 if you sinned before you came to Jesus and you sin now, then what difference has Jesus made in your life? Quite a question from a, you know, a deacon to a, a young girl. And she paused and she said, I, I would put it this way. She said, Before I met Jesus, I used to run after sin. He said, now I try to run from it. That's the change, right? That Jesus changes us, gives us new desires. Not that we don't struggle with sin, but the direction of our life 
uh, changes. We want to leave behind the, the ways that we used to live that, that do not honor God and, and follow Him. So Jesus calls us out of a life of sin. Notice, secondly, Jesus calls us into a life of surrender. What did Jesus mean when he said to Matthew, follow me? What's involved in following him? Well, in a nutshell, following Jesus is surrendering our lives to him. It is putting Jesus first before anything else. The reason I say that is because Matthew gives us several uh, statements of Jesus of what it means to follow him. For example, chapter 10 Verses 37 and 38, he says that following Jesus means putting him before your family. Verse 37 of chapter 10 says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, I love my kids. I love my parents, right? But Jesus comes first. I love my wife. I love her more today than the day we were married. But I love Jesus more. He comes first. He comes first. Chapter 16 of Matthew, verses 24 and 25. Following Jesus means putting him before yourself. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must, what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So there's, there's the, the change, right? Not, not my will, my desire, my plans, my future, but Lord, what's your plan? That's what it means to follow him. Like one lady was praying, she said, Lord, you be the needle and I'll be the thread. I'll just go wherever you, you lead me. Not my, my plans, but yours. And then Matthew 19, uh, Matthew tells us that following Jesus means putting him before the things of this world. Verse 16 says, And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do to win, obtain eternal life? And he quotes the commandments to, the, to him. He says, Do not uh, commit murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbors yourself. And the guy says, well, I've done all that. <laughs> really? No, I've done all that. I've obeyed all of those commands. He said, okay, if you wish to be complete, he says, now go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Why did Jesus tell him to do that? Because he knew that was the thing that was keeping him. And it says, verse 22, but when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. That was his God, right? That was the thing that he loved the most. Not setting that aside for Jesus. He loved the things of this world. So what does it mean to follow him? Following Jesus means putting him first before anyone or anything. Before anyone or before anything. In other words, Jesus becomes your master. Now think of Matthew, a tax collector. How much money do you think he had? 
You think he was on the upper echelon of society or on the bottom? He was obviously on the top. He was wealthy. And yet, Matthew himself makes no mention of what he left behind here. Luke does. In Luke chapter 5, verse 28, he says that Matthew left everything behind to follow Jesus. But Matthew mentions nothing about it. It's as if he didn't think it was that big of a sacrifice to follow Jesus. I mean, what, what, what is more important, to, you know, all the money that he made or following Jesus? And he left it all behind to follow Jesus. So would you be willing to leave behind a well-paying job to follow Jesus? What if he called you to some full-time ministry? Would you be willing to leave that behind to follow Jesus? Matthew left it all behind. Those things didn't matter to him because the call of God, follow me, follow me, follow me. So Jesus calls us out of a life of sin, into a life of surrender. And then thirdly, Jesus calls us unto a life of service. A life of service. When Jesus comes into your life, your your heart changes. And you want to serve. You become a a servant. And that is seen, first of all, in, in his desire to serve Jesus. Verse 10, Matthew says that Jesus was reclining at the table in the house. Whose house? Just says the house. You think maybe one of the other gospel writers might tell us whose house it was? If you guessed yes, that is true. You know whose house it was? It was Matthew's house. (laughs) Matthew's house. According to Luke's account... Luke 5, verse 29, it says, Levi, that was his other name, Levi gave a big reception for him, for Jesus, in his house. So Matthew doesn't mention that, you know, writing his gospel, when I followed Jesus, I gave him this big reception in my house, you know, kind of tooting his own horn on how he was serving the Lord. He did not mention himself because a servant does not seek to draw attention to himself, right? A servant seeks to draw attention to his master. And so Luke mentions that, so we know that's where this meal took place. Matthew doesn't. And many Bible commentators really suggest that that highlights the the humble attitude of, of Matthew. This was for Jesus. It was not for show. It was not for attention. It was not for, look at me, what I'm doing for the Lord. It was for Jesus. Remember uh, the man who gave this anonymous gift to the church? During the announcements, the pastor said, Something about, so thankful for an anonymous gift given to the church. And he was in the back row with his wife Martha. Whispered loud so everyone could hear. Yah, he says, 
Martha and I thought it would be best that way. So everybody in the congregation knew who gave the gift, right? A servant doesn't draw attention to himself, but but to the Lord. And, and, and Matthew's desire was to have this meal for Jesus. Luke 5.29, he gave a big reception for Jesus in his house, seeking to bring glory to him. Because when we are saved... Who receives the glory? It shouldn't be us. It's the Lord, right? The Lord noticed him that day. The Lord called him that day. Matthew was committed to serve the Lord. Who else did he serve? Who else did he serve? Verse 10, those who were just like him. And it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many... Notice that many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. Didn't Matthew had a part in that? Inviting some of those who were in his category, those who were the despised of the world. His life had been changed. Jesus had forgiven him and cleansed him. And Matthew said, come on, I want you to meet Jesus. He changed my life. And Jesus can change your life as well. Have you experienced the life-changing power of Jesus? If you haven't, I would suggest to you that Jesus is here and he's, He sees you. He's seeking for you. You might be uninterested in Him, but He's interested in you. And if you have experienced that power, maybe it's time to invite someone else to experience what Jesus experienced. Or what what Matthew experienced. Maybe have someone over for a meal that doesn't know the Lord. That would be a way to kind of introduce or begin a relationship with them and they can see what, what the Lord has done to change your life. He became a servant, this, this man, serving Jesus and, and serving others. But I must caution you, don't expect that everyone is going to applaud you. You may discover that some people, some people are going to be shocked that you would dare to associate with certain people. People that don't know the Lord, people that... Don't follow his word. People that live different than, than we do. Because there are some who say, you know, you just shun them. You don't have anything to do with them. We see the response of the Pharisees to what Jesus did. Why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? Don't you think this was an honest question? You think they really wanted to know the answer to that question or was that just their way of, of criticizing him? I don't think they expected an answer because I don't think they thought there was a satisfactory answer given to that question. If Jesus was a righteous man, in their eyes, he wouldn't associate with people like that. That's how the Pharisees looked at it. But you know what? Jesus answered that question, didn't he? He answered their question with a simple Logical argument. 
Verse 12, but when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. When do you go to the doctor? Now, you might go for a checkup nowadays, right? But, but normally, when you're sick, right? Those who are sick, they need a physician. John MacArthur says, what sort of doctor would spend all his time with healthy people and refuse to associate with those who are sick? Are you doctors, he implied to the Pharisees, who diagnose but have no desire to cure? Will you tell a person what his disease is and then refuse to give him medicine for it? What an indictment on their self-righteous hard-heartedness. Those whom they diagnosed as sinful, they were quite willing to let them remain sinful. That's the Pharisees, right? Oh, sinner, look at what are you doing. Boy, don't, don't associate with me. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'll just point my finger at you how bad you are, but I'm not going to offer any hope. I'm not going to point you to Jesus. Is there a temptation for us to do that? Oh, it's easy, isn't it? To look at the world today and talk about how evil they are and not do anything about it. I think it's significant what Jesus went on to say. Verse 13, he says, But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now that phrase, go and learn, that was a common phrase that was used by the Jewish rabbis. And they would use that phrase to rebuke those who didn't know something they should have known. Okay? Go and learn. Okay? You ought to know this, but you don't. Go and learn. And so the religious leaders who claimed to follow the Scriptures refused to follow much of the Scriptures. They, they, they weren't as righteous as they thought they were. And it's interesting, and, and I think it's significant, that Jesus quotes here from the book of Hosea. Are you familiar with the book of Hosea? When he says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice, because Hosea, Hosea was willing to associate with sinful people. And guess who one of them was? His wife. He married a woman that became an adulterer and a prostitute. And you know what God said to Hosea? Chapter 3, verse 1, go again. Love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress. And that's what Hosea did. He took this wife of his back who had abandoned him and became a prostitute. And he forgave her. He loved her. He took her back in spite of what she had done. So if the, if the Pharisees knew their Bibles, and they hear Jesus quoting from Hosea. Oh, yeah, I know that story. His marriage relationship to Gomer was his wife's name. If you're looking for names for a girl, Gomer. That turned sour, and it was a picture of God's relationship with the people of Israel who had abandoned him for other gods. And it showed the compassion of God for those who had turned from Him that He was willing to take them back. 
that they would come to him in repentance. But the Pharisees, they knew nothing of compassion. They weren't willing to associate with people who needed forgiveness. And in their self-righteousness, they criticized those who did. Pointed their finger at Jesus because He loved the sinners. He wanted to save them. He wanted to cleanse them and forgive them. And that's why Jesus said then in verse 13, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I think we need to understand that, that, that word, the righteous, that Jesus is referring to the self-righteous. The self-righteous. They are the ones who don't think they need Him. The ones who don't think that they need repentance. One author says, Jesus did not come to call the self-righteous to salvation For the same reason that he did not call the Pharisees to recline with him at the dinner in Matthew's house. They were too good in their own eyes to condescend to such humiliation. To be seen with people like Matthew, the tax collector. And because they would not identify themselves with fellow sinners, they could not be identified with Christ who offers salvation only to sinners who willingly acknowledge their sin. That's who Jesus came to save. Those who willingly acknowledge they are sinners in need of a Savior. So there's the question. Do you willingly acknowledge that you are sinful? That you need a Savior? There is salvation for you. But if you are among those who said, Ah, you know, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm, I'm righteous. And I, you know, I, oh, I might screw up now and then. But I'm really, a, you know, I, I really. And of course, God, you know, He has a scale in heaven. And if the good outweighs the bad, I'm, I'm in. Huh? Religious people. Self-righteous people. And we read from Luke 18 this morning. You had that picture of the Pharisee, who we see in our text here, and the tax collector. And guess where they were both? In the temple. Oh, that's interesting. And the Pharisee, he prays himself. I am so glad I'm not like those people. Those people out there that are sinners and he names some of the things that they're doing and, and then he says, you know, I, you know, I give to the church and I am, you know, I'm one of the pastor's favorites, you know. My budget just goes up when I put my offering in the plate. I, I mean, I, I, I do it, I do everything right. And what was Jesus' conclusion there? Jesus said, I'll tell you, I'll tell you who went home justified. And I suppose the Pharisees in the group that were hearing this, well, that's a dumb thing to say. We, we know who, you know, it's, it's the one who ties and the one who does this and the one who doesn't do that. And Jesus said, no, no, that's, that's, that's not how it works. The one who went home justified is the one who, who dared, could not even look up to heaven but, but beat his breast and said what? God, be merciful to me, 
And the, the, the word the is there. The sinner. Difference, right? A lot of people say, yeah, I'm a sinner. Yeah, I'm, everybody's a sinner. Because if I can include everybody else in this group of sinners, then, then I'm, you know, I'm not the only one, right? God be merciful to me, the sinner. Which is, as I'm dealing with, with my heart here. I'm not, you know, pointing a finger at anybody else, but I'm the one. I'm the sinner. Jesus said, that's the one who went home justified in God's sight. For the one who exalts himself, what's the result? Humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. So how are you going to go home to your house today? Justified? Because of Jesus? That's the only way. I hope you don't leave today saying, that sermon, that's what nobody's talking about. He doesn't realize how good I am, how nice I am. I'll tell you what, you will not leave this place justified. And someday you'll be humbled as you stand before God. You need Jesus today. I need Jesus today. And you know what? We need him just as much as Matthew did. Just as much. Just as much as all the sinful people that the Pharisees would not associate with. We need him just as much. And he has come to be your Savior. Follow me, Jesus said. Are you following him? Are you following him? Maybe you walked in this door today uninterested. Jesus is interested in you. May you say, yes, Lord, I need a Savior. I want to follow you. Lord, give me grace to follow you today and every day of my life. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you just as we are today. Matthew came to you just as he was a sinner in need of forgiveness and healing, and you, you saved him, you transformed him, and you used him in a marvelous way. Oh God, would you do that in our midst today? Those who may be uninterested, sitting in their tax booth, Lord, thank you that you've invited us to follow you. May do you do your work, Father, in our hearts this morning. May you receive all the praise, all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray.